Are you disturbed by the ups and downs of the economy? The nature of speculation is that you make more losing decisions than you make winning decisions. Are you dissatisfied with the usual mainstream analysis? Well, Albert, maybe you know. Maybe that's the answer. <laughs> then join us for a critical discussion about the economy and the events that will shape your financial future. I don't know uh, where the market's going. Nobody knows. You're listening to The Economy. And those of you who are from Canada. With Albert K. Liu. You have a lot of explaining to do. Welcome to The Economy. I am not your host, Albert Liu. I am guest hosting. My name is Isaac Morehouse. Uh, I have a podcast of my own, and you can find it and other things about me at isaacmorehouse.com. I am hosting for Albert today because he's off gallivanting about the globe doing who knows what, but uh, he needed a break, and I jumped in, jumped at the chance to speak to you, his wonderful, wonderful audience. And today, fittingly enough, I am interviewing the person who brought Albert and I together. Uh, I met Albert at a fee event where he was debating Jeffrey Tucker on whether or not technology was good or bad for the prospects of liberty. So today, Jeffrey Tucker is joining me on the show. Jeff, how are you? Hey, everything is good. It's great to talk to you again, Isaac. And I, rem- I remember that debate. Um, Albert was, was uh, I didn't think he made a very good case. And I because of that, I went kind of easy on him. <laughs> you know, what's funny about that, I thought, so I was moderating and I... I just thought, well, what, what real case is there? Maybe I've been so warped uh, in, you know, the cult of Jeff Tucker optimism. What, what's the case against technology? How could it? And Jeff actually made what I thought was a a relatively credible and somewhat subtle uh, point. His argument was basically that technology is not bad for liberty, nor is it good for liberty. Technology is neutral. And it depends on the way people choose to use it. And I thought, so it was sort of a, an anti, you know, there's nothing inevitable about technology that brings about liberty, um, but there's there's nothing inevitable that brings about, uh, you know, the, a reduction in liberty either. And it was sort of, a, I thought there was, a, it was something there. I mean, I still am much more optimistic, um, but I thought it was relatively well argued. You know, uh, well, thank you. But, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, really, like, what do we really mean when we talk about technology? We're talking about sort of a, a disruption in the status quo. And, and I really do think that history can be sort of seen as a, a little bit of a race, you know, where, where there, it's, it's a struggle between, between, the, between the people and the powerful and the people through the market economy and the other institutions that we administer uh, just have to stay one step ahead uh, of of the sort of parasitic state all the time, or else, you know, the state's going to catch up to us and devour us and and kill progress. So, uh, I don't, if there's if there's another path to staying ahead, uh, or rather staying out of harm's way, I don't I don't entirely know what it is. Um, and certainly in, in our times, we're seeing ways in which technology is being used in a remarkable way. I mean, even just I was driving around on, on some highways on yesterday using the app called Waze. And it's pretty interesting um, the way this, this app works. If there's, it's kind of crowdsourcing spotting police right so and what are the police they're just tax agents on the roads so so of course you want to stay stay ahead of them and at least know where they are and, and shape up when you hear about. so the Waze app will tell you well, there's something on the road coming up oh there's there's a construction and then they'll say policeman spotted ahead you know with a, a, an element of urgency you know? <laughs> and so and so you can 
then by using this crowdsource technology, uh, avoid being pillaged or possibly arrested. And you know that's just a very small example. And I was telling somebody about that, and 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 he said something like, "Well, wow, is that even legal?" Well, I mean, of course it's legal to pass on information. I mean, it's there's nothing illegal about saying there's a policeman up on that corner. And you no, know, I, well, no, and and I I actually think that there maybe is a more relevant question, as you know, rather than is that legal, is it possible to stop it? And you see this with with intellectual property. It's it's almost less relevant these days whether something, especially if it has anything to do with the digital world, is legal. It's more like, can it be stopped? Because whether or not it's illegal to, you know, download movies or music or whatever it might be, it's it's pretty much unstoppable now at this point. And same with this kind of information sharing stuff. Whether or not it's legal, it doesn't matter. The laws, the the law enforcement they're just going to have to adjust to the reality because it's unstoppable. It's decentralized. Um, you can't just pass a law and ban it. And that's what's really beautiful about it. They can stop some things. It's, but, you know, the state has a sort of short attention span and limited resources. So when they focus on you, when, you know, when the, when the Klieg lights swing from the watchtower and land on you as you're trying to escape the fence, you know, you're sort of done for. But while they're doing that, there's a hundred other people that are, that are climbing over the fence, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's a kind of, <laughs> so, so maybe, you know, if you want to really do good for the world, you, you be the one who causes a bunch of noise and, and attracts all the attention while everyone else yeah. escapes. Okay. So I, I wanted to ask you, um, you mentioned, being aware of where these uh, tax collectors on the highway, the police are. And that reminds me of you had a recent run in. Uh, you got you got thrown in the pokey. You're a criminal, Jeff. You're a wanted man. Uh, what happened? Tell me about it. Well, so I'm, I'm driving along the road and, and there, there's a new law in many states called the pullover rule. And, and what it means is that when a when a cop is on the right shoulder of the road, you have to go over to the left lane. And apparently this is because there were one or two incidents where people would swing over and actually hit, hit the police with their cars, you know. And so this understandably annoyed the police. So, of course, they passed a law. Uh, in this In this case, they weren't actually pulling over for any reason. They were pulling over to test compliance with the law. So it was a complete sting operation. So I'm so, driving. So they pulled, they just parked on the right lane to see if people would move into the left lane. Yeah. Turn on the lights. <laughs> and, and so anybody who didn't move, they immediately ticketed. Right. So, you know, it's just, it's just totally bogus, but so they pulled me over <clears throat> and, and then, uh, he took my license and he waited an exorbitantly long time and came back, stood back and he said, step out of the car. And I should have known at that point, you know, okay, we got a problem. Um, uh, but I didn't, you know, as much as much as I think I know about these things, I didn't quite anticipate this. And so he said, is there a reason your license is suspended? And I, I was stunned there for a minute. I, you know, I just kind of looked and I thought, then I remembered, oh yeah, about two or three months ago, something like that, I, I had a ticket and I was a little bit late in paying it. But when I went in to pay it, they said, well, uh, you should have paid it by yesterday in case your license has been suspended, um, here's a piece of paper you might want to keep in your car. And and it was a piece of paper that said uh, reinstatement of possible suspension, you know, or issued by the Georgia Municipal Court. And I remembered this, and I said, oh, oh gosh, there's been some kind of bureaucratic confusion. Let me get a piece of paper. And he goes, no, you don't move. I'll get the piece of paper. Where is it? So I told him where it was. He comes back with it, and... And and he was confused by it. He said, "Well, yeah, sure enough, it does say it is reinstated." 
And and so he, another cop drives up at this point, and he pulls the guy over, and they had a discussion in front of me. And one said, well, clearly it's been reinstated. And the guy said, you know, my radio says his, his license is suspended. And then the guy said, well, wait a minute. His license is from Alabama. This reinstatement is from Georgia. So it's a different jurisdiction. Uh, so this one can't pertain. And the other cop goes, oh, gosh, you're right. You're under arrest. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. And so they grabbed my hands, put them behind my back, locked, locked me in very tight handcuffs and threw me in the, in the back of the, of the cop car. You know? I mean, what was the – it just seems like in that moment, even if they needed to take you in, they would recognize you're no physical threat. You're presenting no threat. Why the need to throw your hands behind your back and handcuff you? Well, this was, uh, you know, you could ask this at every stage of the criminal justice system. You know, this is dumb. This is unnecessary. This is costly. This is cruel. Why do you keep doing this? And the answer is always the same. They're just doing the job. You know, that they're, they're following the protocol. That's, that's the way it always works for these people. Yeah, that's one of the scariest phrases I can imagine. Uh, just following well, orders. You know, all, all of the great atrocities in the world have been carried out by people, um, just following orders, you know? Well, that's the reason they work there. And if they weren't willing to follow the orders, then they shouldn't be working there. So I think that they have to kind of blunt their consciences. And, and, and you know, the egregiousness of the system just becomes really apparent over time. And they just kind of get used to it. I mean, it's like people in war, you know, get used to killing people. At, at first, it's a little shocking. But, you know, you do it two, three, four times, and then it just seems normal. So this is what they do every day. They so just... they. Sweep people up in, in, in idiotic situations and ruin their lives. So, so you were swept into the backseat of the car. And was your car just left on the side of the road? What happened next? Yeah, that's what they do. They, so whatever, when you're arrested, whatever you have on your person is what you get to take with you. And if you don't have it on your person, then uh, it's left in your car. So it's something important to remember that when you're driving around – Always make sure your cell phone is charged, you know, that it's in your pocket, that you have all the things you need. If there's any medications you need, you should always carry them in, in your pocket. I mean, I think realistically, Isaac, it's not wrong for people to prepare to be arrested at any moment in their lives. Uh, so, yeah, they left the, my car on the side of the road, and, and I was taken to the pokey, thrown, thrown behind bars. What was it like when they took you into, uh, into the pokey? Well, you know, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty scary. And and you have to figure out a persona. You know, you have to decide, am I the naive, innocent uh, uh, victim who is respectful of the police, you know, and uh, and compliant and in hopes of kind of earning the, their, their pity and mercy? Or are you going to be the angry, you know, you're going to be Adam Kokesh, you know, uh, the angry libertarian. So I've tried angry libertarian the last time I was arrested. So this time I tried, I tried the... Uh, naive, uh, put upon, innocent. And how did it work out? And, um, well, it, it, it wasn't so bad. They were actually kind to me. For one thing, I was, you know, I was really dressed up and, you know, and are you ever not wearing a bow tie and a three piece <laughs> suit? Um, there are swimming in that. Yeah, right. There are times when I'm not, but it just so happens that when I, when I, when I travel and I was traveling that I always dress up just because I, I find that it's, it's just better. You never know when you're going to need uh, <clears throat> depend on the kindness of strangers, you know. So, um, and so this time it, it actually worked for me. So they took a little pity on me. So they unhooked the handcuffs from my back, put them in my front, which makes a big difference. You think, well, you're still captive. But, I mean, little things like that really matter to you. And I had a bottle of pills. It's just a little thing that um, 
uh, keeps trimmers away from my hands because I'm a little bit high strung. So they went and got that for me. So, you know, they, they took little efforts to be nice to me. And um, they booked me. And, you know, I had some fun banter with, uh, with the guards, you know, who, uh, you know, I developed a kind of a casual friendship with, you know. Uh, you do the best you can, but, you know, you're thrown behind bars. You're going to be there for a very minimum four or five hours. There's no other way to, to get around it. Um, and eventually, by the end of the day, the bondsman came, and I, I threw down my credit card. Uh, it cost me a couple thousand dollars, but I got out, you know, and I had a friend come pick me up and so on. Um, went and recovered my car from the impoundment lot and so on. And so, it was, you know, it was a, a lost day and a lot of trauma, really. I mean, it's just a racket, too, because there's no point in this story where there was any indication – to anyone involved, any of the law enforcement, that you were some sort of threat, it was purely an extortionary thing. Like, hey, you didn't renew your thing, which is basically paying a fee uh, on time, uh, and the paperwork isn't quite right. So we have to do, you know, make you pay to get your car taken care of, make you pay to to get out on bond. Make it's just a series of of hoops, really. I mean, it's just bureaucracy with bars involved. Yeah. It's it's no different for, and the important thing is that you know it is essentially an act of violence against your person. So you you resist it. I mean, I, we're sort of uh, we're animals who don't want to be captured. You're like any animal doesn't want to be captured. You know, um, it's just that we have sort of particularly intelligent ways of seeking not to be captured. So it it, it ends up being kind of a metaphysical ta- attack on your personal identity to be handcuffed and taken to a prison and put behind bars. It it really does kind of make you see the world in a different way. I was not as traumatized by this one as I was uh, the first time. But I do think that it can be an enlightening experience for anybody to to kind of see the the teeth of the state, you know, uh, really, and to feel them in your, in your own life. It, it, nothing ever is quite the same after that. What was the first time you were arrested? Well, the first time was a similar situation. It was a failure to appear. It was, a, uh, I think, a, a stop sign violation of some sort, roll through, you know, and I didn't appear. So there was a warrant out for my arrest, and they, they arrested me out of Sunday branch and, 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 and threw me in jail. Uh, that, that, was, that, was, that was interesting how, how traumatized I was by that experience. Um, I was so traumatized that when I wrote about it, I didn't even admit that I was the one who uh, who I was talking about? I wrote about it in the third person because I, I found it so embarrassing. You know, this time I couldn't wait. You know, to, <laughs> to write about it. So I'm I'm less shy than I used to be. We know more and more uh, people in our own lives that are uh, that face this kind of uh, situation. It's more and more common for our, our friends and coworkers and family to get to get arrested. It's yeah. it's it's become sort of part of American life. Uh, <laughs> it's a shocking thing to say. When I, when I was there, though, Isaac, I, was, I, was, I felt so awful. There was a, a man, my sort of cellmate was brought in, a Hispanic man, and they were much tougher on him because, you know, he had good tattoos and, he, you know, he fit all the persona of, of the, you know, the, the American bad guy. And um, so they gave him a much rougher, rougher search. And they found a couple of very small flakes of marijuana in his pocket. And so they booked him um, on a felony charge of trafficking narcotics inside a correctional institution. And he was brought in on a failure to appear, too. I mean, just a small violation. But then suddenly faced a felony charge for narcotics uh, distribution. Mm. So as much as I was feeling sorry for myself, I, you know, I, I walked away. Yeah. Um, he stayed. What, what is the solution, Jeff? What is the... 
what is the way to avoid or overcome or rein in the police state? I mean, I know in, in, in you and I, in our envisioned world, all of these criminal laws, the existence of a, of a monopoly police force is, is unnecessary and very uh, inefficient. There's a lot better ways to, to have a, you know, um, norms and institutions followed, whether informal or formal. But given what we're dealing with today, what do you think is the best way forward in a society where everyone is increasingly criminalized? Well, I, if one thing is you have to kind of prepare yourself. And, and most people are not mentally prepared for the possibility they could get arrested. So you, you have to maintain uh, good friendship networks. I think it's extremely important to have people that you can rely on to, to help you in the event of a crisis. Um, uh, I think uh, not taking unnecessary risks is, is, is important. Uh, but ultimately, I think what we have to do is, as you said, start thinking seriously about the about the problems of government manipulation, monopolization of the police. But Isaac, you know, um, you, you kind of come out of the same classical liberal tradition that I do, and I think we've made a terrible mistake. Uh, we have neglected this area so systematically. I mean, uh, for many many decades, libertarians in this country have have argued that that the one important function of government, the essential one that the private sector cannot do is police and justice, that we, that's the one we need the most. The problem with that is that you're sort of, in, if you're conceding that, you're, you're kind of giving up everything. I mean, yeah. as a, if you're a state, that's what you want the most. I mean, mm. that's the single most, uh, if you control, the, if you're in charge of the, night, uh, the watchtower, then you, you run the prison. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, it's interesting this, you know, I, I once many years ago heard someone make the claim, make the case for, uh, I think it was Tom Bell, a legal scholar, for essentially doing away with criminal law. And I thought, well, that's absurd. And as he explained it, I realized that most of the things that actually generate order um, around us in the day-to-day -day realm are based in civil law, which is kind of an emerged, a spontaneous order, this, this common law tradition uh, that's not... You know, sometimes government takes over elements of it, but it exists outside of and predates a government monopolized system. Criminal law is this additional layer that has nothing to do with any victims. So if you if you steal from someone, the civil law is what's going to deal with you making restitution to them. Criminal law is an additional layer on top of that where not the victim, but the state itself is coming after you and saying, in addition to the crime you did against this person, you did a crime against uh, the state or against the public in general. And this isn't about restitution. This is about uh, basically just being punished, uh, going to prison or whatever. And that whole layer of criminal law is where the real, real danger comes in because most of the civil law, much of it is handled in private courts or arbitration, and there's no need for um, the, the, the prison system, et cetera. And I think that's a really powerful thing. Many people don't realize that those are two separate things and two separate traditions. One is a, is a long tradition that has emerged as a way of sustaining order, and one is a sort of an imposed institution that is um, what was created in order to suppress and control. Well, that's true. And, and the terrible thing about the criminal law is it's, it's being used now to provide revenue for the state. Um, you know, the states got really hungry for revenue after 2008 when uh, property values collapsed. And uh, they, they started scrambling and, and re revisiting their institutions to try to figure out how to use the police as, as revenue agents. Um, and that's why it's that's why they arrest so many people for, for these minor traffic offenses nowadays. It's, it's a really... 
uh, an operation. It's a tax collection yeah. uh, operation. It's yeah. so interesting to see that, you know, I've been in other countries where you'll get pulled over and, you know, the bus driver will say, everyone, just be quiet. Um, just give me a few bucks. Let me just talk to this guy, give him 20 bucks and see if that will work. And I'll give him 20 bucks or pesos or whatever. And the guy will look real serious and pretend to be looking down the van or the bus. And then he'll just go away. And everyone will say, if there is, there's Americans there, they'll say, oh my gosh, this is so corrupt. This is just pure extortion. <laughs> uh, and my first thought is, oh my gosh, this is so much more efficient. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to be extorted by a police officer, I don't want to have to go take this stupid carbon copy with all these instructions on it and send in an envelope to this court or go to some website that's impossible to navigate. And if I don't do it right, there'll be a warrant out for my arrest. And just let me pay you 20 bucks right here. Do you, do you take credit card? <laughs> you know, there's exactly. something more efficient when it's so naked like that. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's, there's something about the American system that's so, sort of become ridiculously cruel and more and more people are facing it. I mean, it's, it's interesting when you go back and look at like the 1960s and read the speeches of Martin Luther King, uh, which I would encourage anybody to do. Actually, I recently did this and I, I felt embarrassed that I had been reading from, from them for years and not really seen, uh, you know, the core of what it was that he was complaining about and what the civil rights movement was all about. You know, it wasn't about, it wasn't about quotas. It wasn't about welfare. It wasn't about special rights. Uh, all the all that he was demanding, all that movement was demanding, was was uh, uh, just uh, some some dignified treatment by by the police and the courts. Mm-hmm. I mean, there 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 was just there, you know the, the black Americans were just were horribly horribly treated by by our public institutions. I mean, it's an amazing thing to, when you go back and look at the speeches, like a letter from Birmingham Jail and stuff. That that was true. Uh, that that was there. That was the number one thing. And now. Uh, you know, this this is affecting the white bourgeoisie in this country in the exact same way, yeah. and it, and it's and there's a certain resonance that this movement has for us now that maybe it didn't, you know, in the 1970s and the 1980s, but after 2008, and of course it's always been a problem for Hispanic Americans uh, too, but uh, now that it's affecting you know everybody. Um, you know, it's become a kind of a matter of, of urgency. And I think we're experiencing a cultural change right now. Like I say, five years ago when I first got arrested, I was too embarrassed to even admit that I was the one who was arrested. Now, um, you know, it kind of gives you bragging rights. Yeah. I mean, so the, you know, the culture no, I, I mean, it's, it's amazing how much has changed. Ten years ago, certainly, maybe even five. Um, the average person that I would interact with, let, let's say, you know, my mom or people in her neighborhood would – their default assumption would be that police are respectable and that if someone got tangled up with them, it was probably their fault. Today, even someone like my mom or my mother-in-law, would they have a skepticism. They, I, I actually heard, I think it was my mom say, I, feel, I don't feel more comfortable when I see a police car. I feel less comfortable. I feel less safe. And that's a pretty new thing. And I think that's been a, a cultural shift in all the cameras on our smartphones and the documentation of all the frequent police abuse and things, I think have really helped bring that about. I think it's the single biggest change politically in my lifetime. Uh, I never thought I would I would see it, but I think you're exactly right. Um, what used to affect just a small minority of the population 50 years ago has now been universalized to everybody. Yeah. And, and and that's the first step, I think, to to uh, a changing culture is to change the perception of the police and and I I think it's important for human liberty. Um, I, I I've been so pleased as far as I know the first 
candidate for public office who's actually raised this topic is Rand Paul, and he's actually talking about it a little bit, you know. Um, that's really encouraging. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can start seeing uh, this sort of bubble up to uh, the political realm and people can start talking about it more openly. And it's not, it's not a left-right issue, really. It's just a human rights issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can people find you? Um, always at Foundation for Economic Education, fee.org, at my own company uh, website, liberty.me, where I blog almost every day. Um, and my archives are otherwise strewn all over the internet. It's, uh, I, find, I, find, I find evidence of my whereabouts every day that I've already forgotten about. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Jeff. Uh, this has been a pleasure guest hosting for Albert Liu. This is The Economy Podcast, and I am Isaac Morehouse. Have a great day. The Economy was brought to you by WB Wealth Management, an independent fee-based financial advisory firm, and the Woodlands Bullion Company, your exclusive source for precious metals. Visit us online at wbadvisors.com. The Economy is produced by WB Wealth Management in cooperation with Mixignal Innovations, LLC. This program is intended for informational purposes only and is not an offer to buy or sell securities or alternative investments. 